You are listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSN, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our student pastor, Gabe Pecoraro. A couple of years ago, I think it was 2020, it was right around Easter time, and I was with my family, my dad was working, but it was me and Eden and my brother Luke, my mom was there, Ellie was there, and do you guys remember Michael from Beach Camp and who spoke? Yeah, Michael was there too, all right? And we were bored because it was 2020. I wanna say that this was going on like the fourth or fifth day that Michael was at the house, and so we were all just like bored what turned into like us doing some music together and hanging out, it was like, man, we don't know what to do. And so we're just sitting there bored together, not knowing what to do. And at this point, it's 2020, so this is going on four years ago. Eden, who is my sister, who is in the middle school girls small group, is in the probably, were you in the fifth grade? The fifth grade. She was in the fourth or fifth grade at this point, okay? And she was not in RSM yet. Um, And we were like, you know what we can do? It's close to Easter. We're gonna do an egg hunt in the house and make Eden find some eggs. So Eden goes away and we hide these eggs and we hide these eggs really good. I'm talking, there's like, there's like a banister in my parents' house with a ledge that's like tall for you tall people. And we climbed up on there. We put an egg back there. She'd have to climb up and get dirt scuff marks on the white banister and be in trouble for it. We were hiding stuff under things. We were pulling stuff apart and putting it back together with the egg in it. It was good hiding. Well, my dad has an incredibly complex and valuable stereo system that's kind of like his baby that, had, that you can have it run through the TV through it. He has a record player, CD player, reel-to-reel, tape, everything. And you can bounce all of that through it. It sounds incredible. Well, I'm gonna blame it on Michael. I don't remember who it was, but one of us decided that we were gonna put this Easter egg in the little sound hole of my dad's speaker. So right in the sound port, probably like an inch or two back. You could grab it if you were careful, okay? Well, we let Eden come out and Eden starts finding eggs and eventually she finds the egg that was in the sound port of the speaker. And she goes to grab it and instead of grabbing it, she knocks it into the speaker. So at this point, all of us are fearing for, my, for our life, including my mom, because these speakers are very valuable. These speakers are priceless to my dad. They are a prized possession. And so we are desperate. What are we gonna do? Are we gonna shake these things? Are we gonna turn them over? Are we gonna have to take them apart? Are we gonna have to just go ahead and move? Are we gonna have to, like, do I need to start digging my grave now? What are we gonna do? We exhaust all of our options and finally get to the point where my mom is like, you know what? You need to tell your papa. And we're like, no, we don't. (laughs) No, we don't. How about, what if we did this? What if we just leave it there and wonder what is going on when the speakers are rattling when he goes to turn something on. That's a bad idea, Gabe. So we find, up, we find up telling my dad, and he is very gracious. 
He totally is able to take the speakers apart and take the egg out and put the speakers back together. They work perfectly today. All of us are still living and breathing and everything was good. But this is what I learned from the story. A lot of times when you're desperate, you do crazy stuff. When you're desperate for fun, you think it's probably a great idea to put an egg in the sound port of a speaker and hope that nobody accidentally pushes the egg in or walks too hard and the speaker rattles a little bit and it falls in. You do some, you do some desperate and some stupid stuff, right? And what did we learn from this story? That had we have just gone to the person who knew how to undo the speakers and knew how to put them back together, and just told them what happened up front, we would have avoided a whole lot of being super, super anxious and uptight and not knowing what to do. Because you see, the person who actually knows how to put the thing together, who knows the ins and outs of things, the creator, you may say, knows what is going on and can figure things out. And this is what we're gonna read about tonight. We're gonna read about somebody coming to Jesus in desperation, not knowing what to do, but going to the right place, going to the creator, going to the Messiah. And seeing in his desperate faith and taking Jesus at his word, he will be able to walk out deliberately choosing to obey moving forward, okay? So we're gonna be in John 4, verses 43 through 54 this week, and we're gonna take them a couple verses at a time, and this is what it says. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and to heal his son who was close to death. Point number one is this, desperate faith. So what do we know? I always like when we're reading the scripture, when we're reading the text, let's figure out what we know right on the surface level of the text. And this is what it says. It says that there's a royal official, right? And this royal official has a son who is sick. And is this son a little sick or is this son a whole lot of sick? Whole lot of sick, right? It says that his son is to the point of death. And to kind of frame this, I want us to think about this, all right? So for me and for all the RSM leaders in here, I'm sure you guys would agree, we look at you guys as our students and we love and we care about you guys deeply to the point where if it was between me and Nathan of who's gonna go out in front of a bus and get hit by it, I will give my life for Nathan in a heartbeat. But then we start to think a little bit deeper, right? I think my sister is in the, in the audience, right? We just had a story about Eden, right? In a heartbeat, I would give my life for my sister. In a heartbeat, I would do anything to try and help her and protect her. But then you think even more than that. I think about my son who turned seven months old on Saturday and it, which is crazy, yeah. But here's the thing, I would absolutely do anything for Israel. I would give my life for him in a heartbeat. 
Why? He has his whole life ahead of him. I'm gonna do anything as his father to protect him. If it means that I have to walk to Canada, then I'm gonna pack my bag and start walking. If it means that I have to spend the rest of my earnings in order to figure out a doctor that is gonna be able to help him, then that's what I'm gonna do. If it means that I have to swim across the Atlantic Ocean, then I'm gonna die trying. What am I saying? This royal official had exhausted every single option. His son was dying. His son had a whole life ahead of him. His son had a bright future and he was dying. And what do we know about this royal official? Well, a lot of commentators would agree that this royal official was probably somebody in Herod Antipas's court. What do I mean by that? Herod was a bad dude. Herod beheaded John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist that we talked about in the first couple of chapters of John? And we're gonna see a little bit more about this whole story, but it is entirely messed up and entirely not okay. So Herod beheaded John the Baptist and he was not a Christian. This royal official in Herod's court more than likely was not believing in Jesus, was not a Jewish person. More than likely he was a pagan person who did not follow God. Meaning that for him to come to Jesus and walk the 20 miles that it took him to get from his town to Jesus in Cana at Galilee meant that he was desperate. He had ran out of every single option. So we know that this royal official came to Jesus on a limb in desperation, desperate faith. He'd exhausted every single last option. Let's keep on reading. Verse 48 says this, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Point number two is this, take Jesus at his word. Take him at his word. Again, what do we see? Well, we see that first in verse uh, 48, Jesus questions this man and the people. He says, unless you guys see signs and wonders, unless you guys see miracles, unless you see the blind seeing, the, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, you see people resurrected, you're not gonna believe unless you see, right? That's where he starts. And what we need to see is that faith, based on signs and miracles, must not be mistaken for true faith because it fails to honor God since by it he serves us rather than the other way around. What am I saying? If you're constantly in a state of help me Jesus, but you do not obey what he says, you are using God as savior, you're using God as the lifeline, and you're forgetting that he's the Lord. Meaning that you're supposed to be obedient. And at the name of Jesus, every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess. So Jesus questions the people. And again, that's not okay, this faith based on miraculous signs and wonders. There is a famous couple right now. You guys probably already know who I'm talking about. 
that one of them is a football player that the majority of you people didn't know about until last week. And the other person is a pop star. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Who are we talking about? Taylor Swift and who? What's his name? Of course you don't know. Travis Kelsey. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you guys something. First off, I'm gonna get on the soapbox real quick. Taylor Swift jumped onto a future Hall of Famer's career in order to save her dying career. That's first things first, all right? I know I'm gonna upset some people, but y'all can get over it. That's what actually happened. I feel bad Travis Kelsey fell for it. Anyways, anyways, I have a plethora of friends who literally lived their life based on the highs and lows of Taylor Swift's life. If it is a breakup drama, then they're in the pit of pits. If it is all of a sudden she's dating Travis Kelsey and she is sitting in the box at the Chiefs games, they are on the highest highs ever. If she is doing a tour for her old music because her new music stinks, then they are in the highest high ever. But here's the thing, y'all. I know this is fun in games and I know it's funny. Here's the thing. There is so much life in between the mountains and valleys of Taylor Swift's breakups. There are so many days in between her finishing up a tour and her dating Travis Kelsey. What am I saying? I'm saying that if you are living your life as a Christian waiting for the next winter retreat or waiting for the next beach camp, you need to realize that there are six months that we could be walking out in faith in between those days. There are six months that you could be actually seeking the Lord in between those things. Because what you need to understand is you don't need another sign or another wonder or another big, big gathering of people where we see all this awesome stuff. Those things are good. But what do we see in the Lord's prayer? We see give us our daily bread. You see, we serve a God who wants to meet with us daily. We need Jesus just as much today as we need him at winter retreat. We need Jesus just as much when life is just mediocre and melancholy and wang than when it's in the deepest, darkest valley of your life. You see, we are all broken. We are all sinners and every single one of us is desperate for Jesus. And not just desperate when we feel like we're desperate, desperate when we don't because that's probably when we're gonna get ourselves in trouble. You have to recognize that. So Jesus tells this man, are you looking for just another sign or a wonder? Are you actually gonna do something? And what do we see? This man takes Jesus at his word and departs. He takes him at his word. Jesus says, go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. What you need to see is that faith in Jesus is gonna produce action because this man never would have met up with his servants when he was going on this trip had he not started walking. Had he not believed what Jesus had said, he'd eventually get there, but he'd miss the joy of meeting up with his servants and being able to be excited on his trip home. And for many of us, we're waiting for another retreat 
or waiting for another big thing when God wants to meet you today. So you've gotta recognize that. Take Jesus at his word. And the last thing, let's keep reading. Verse 53. And the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. And the last point is this deliberate faith. You see, we have a desperate faith. We have a man who is desperate for any option. He is desperate for his son to live and he has exhausted everything to the point where he travels 20 miles to see this man who does this religion that he probably doesn't even believe in, but maybe I'll give it a shot. And then we see that you're to take Jesus at his word. He actually takes the steps out and he walks and he believes that Jesus and eventually his son is healed, right? Then we see a deliberate faith. What do I mean by that? Being deliberate is making a strong choice, right? You are not doubtful with your choice. I got in trouble all the time as a kid and one of the things that I heard the most because I was a ding dong was, Gabe, you deliberately disobeyed me. Do you know what that means? That means they told me and there was no loopholes for you smart Alex. They told me, Gabe, do not go outside and jump the fence and run across the busy street to go get your soccer ball. And you know what I did every single time? I jumped the fence, I ran across the street to go get my soccer ball, and I kept playing. And I'd be like, well, mom, I was just getting my ball so I could practice. I'm trying to get better, I'm getting my work in. Gabe, the cars are going 60 miles an hour. You're gonna get squashed like a bug. Gabe, you're deliberately disobeying me, meaning I had all the facts and I chose to not do what they were saying. Deliberate faith is having the facts of, you know what, I don't understand. I do not get this. I don't know how in the world God could work in this, but I'm gonna trust that he's provider. I'm gonna trust that he is Emmanuel, God with us. I'm going to trust that he's a strong tower which the righteous run into and are saved. That is what deliberate faith looks like. I'll give you another example. Mr. Isaac, you can go ahead and start. So how many of you guys have been sleeping in the middle of the night and you wake up and you realize, I'm not gonna be able to fall back asleep until I got to the bathroom. Raise your hand if you've been there before. Okay, so how many of you guys, like me, had a bathroom that was a little far away, and you walk in the dark, you're kinda like wiping your eyes off, trying to get there, and then like, you go to the bathroom, and you're tired, and you're like kinda falling over, or falling off the seat if you're a girl, I don't really know how that works, but whatever. And so you finish up, and now you're a little more awake. Awake enough to realize it's dark. And I might not say it, but I'm scared of the dark. How many of you guys don't say it, but you're scared of the dark? That's what I thought, every single one of y'all. And so you, get, you turn around and you're like, oh no, uh-uh, I feel it. It's behind me, uh-uh. Uh-uh, I'm gonna, okay, oh, I gotta go to my room. Oh, I don't want to. 
And so first off, you annihilate the invisible beast that is in the doggone shower, right? You, you whip that shower curtain over and kick it. And then you start walking, you start walking. Right? How many of you guys done that before? And you woke everybody up in the house. All right, all right, bring it back, bring it back. Cue next scene. The next night, you got a little embarrassed because you woke everybody up and they said, what is your problem? And you said, um, uh, I don't know, right? You didn't have an answer because you're not gonna tell them you're afraid of the dark, right? So next night, you go to bed and you're sleeping and you wake up. Oh no, are you serious? I'm not gonna be able to fall asleep. I'm gonna have to go to the bathroom. So you wake up a little more alert, remembering what happened last time, feeling kind of embarrassed. You walk to the bathroom and you just, you kind of just feel something rise up in you. I'm not gonna take this. I'm not gonna take this demon monster that's behind me. I'm not gonna take it. So you go pee and you turn around and you're ready. You're scared, but you're ready. And you, uh-uh. You walk. You got goosebumps, but you're walking. You walk, you turn around, you look. I don't see nothing, right? And you make it to the bed and you're safe and sound and you sleep and you wake up and feel like a champ. How many of y'all have done that before, right? So some of y'all made it there. Some of y'all made it there. Some of y'all are gonna try that tonight when you have to go pee. Let me know if you're able to make it without sprinting down the hallway. Here's the thing. I think a lot of times, that's sometimes what faith looks like. Because this is what I know. I know in my house, we lock the door. I know that we have an alarm system. I know we live in a safe neighborhood. I know we're safe. I know there's not things to worry about. But I feel afraid. And a lot of times, we forget that we are in the palm of God's hand. We are safe, we are sound, yet we feel afraid. And what is faith? Faith is choosing to walk when it's dark, when it's scary, when we feel like something's behind us, when we don't know what to do, and choosing to trust that we're safe, choosing to trust that God has us, choosing to walk in obedience. And that's what we see from this man. We see that, God, that Jesus told him to go and he took a step and he took another step and he took another step and eventually he got to the point where he met his servants and he was told some of the most joyous news that he'd ever received, that his son is living. And he asks when? And his servants say that it was about one in the afternoon, which is the same exact time that Jesus told him his son would live. And so he has this wonderful experience of actually seeing God work in his life. But he doesn't keep it there. 
You see, because as believers, our faith is supposed to grow and mature, and that takes obedience. And so when he gets home, he and his entire family come to know Jesus because he walked in deliberate faith. He started with desperation, and it turned into being deliberate. It turned into choosing to trust, even when it didn't make sense. And at the end of the scripture passage, we see this. We see this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Quick survey. Do you guys remember what the first sign was in the book of John? Does anybody? Yes, Miss Jade. Not the woman at the well. That's a good, yes? Turning the water to wine. Yes. So we see that. We see in John chapter two, the wedding at Cana, the water into wine. And what do we see if we compare these two things? The first miracle was done at a wedding. The second miracle was done when somebody was on their deathbed. The first miracle was done at one of the greatest parties that you can ever celebrate on this earth. Why? Because we see marriage as a picture of Christ's love for the church, right? It is one of the greatest things that you're ever gonna celebrate. I will be able to look back 50 years from now and celebrate the day that Ellie and I got married. I will always be able to cherish that. But what else do we see? We see that Jesus was also present at the death of a loved one. He was able to heal this boy, but this father came not knowing where to turn because his son was dying, which is probably one of the hardest things that you could ever walk through. And Jesus was present at both. Jesus was real at both. And Jesus was all powerful in both. Meaning that in the highest highs in your life, in the lowest lows in your life, and everywhere in between, we need Jesus, we need him. That's what I want you guys to recognize. And I especially wanna challenge you guys, I know that there's probably a lot of you guys who are going through some really, really tough stuff right now. Whether it's friends at school, whether it's home life, whether it's a parent, I do not know. Um, but as we, were, as we were singing the worship songs today, um, one thing that kept coming to my mind um, is that, Jesus is good, and I felt like I should tell you guys um, that over the last couple of years, I have been at the deathbed um, watching three of my grandparents take their last breath over the last couple of years, and it has been so unbelievably difficult. It's been so unbelievably difficult to literally watch somebody breathe their last breath. And the thing is, is obviously I'm, I'm a grandson, but in the room was the spouse, was the husband or wife for a couple. In the room was kids for a couple. But this is what I know. Is Ellie was with me all of those times. And Ellie and I can look back at that, yes, with great sadness. Yes, with, with just, it hurts but also recognizing that we were actually able to celebrate because at the end of the day, that person is now at peace because their spirit is with their Lord and Savior. They are able to have perfect rest, perfect joy, something greater than we would ever, ever, ever be, understand, be able to understand here. And what does that tell us? That tells us that there is a hope that is greater than anything that we can ever experience on this earth and that hope's name is Jesus.
And so if you don't know Jesus, my challenge is for you to actually make a decision to follow Jesus tonight. You see, he was God's only son. And he came down to this earth and he lived a perfect life and he died on behalf of you and me. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And because of his sacrifice on our behalf, because every single one of us is broken, every single one of us has messed up, his sin has missed the mark. And because of that, God is perfect, God is holy. We were separated from God. And Jesus serves as that bridge who died on our behalf. And so if you don't know Jesus, my challenge is for you to make a decision to follow him tonight. If you say, Gabe, I honestly have not been living a life of deliberate faith. I've been throwing a lot of Hail Marys to God, but I haven't been trusting God with my day to day. That's my challenge for you tonight is to actually trust God with that, is to begin to give those things to him because there's nothing that is too small, there's nothing that our savior doesn't care about. And last but not least, I want you guys to be open about where you're at with your small groups. If you're on a mountaintop, then celebrate that with your small groups and use your friends to keep you humble. If you're in the midst of a valley, then be open with your small groups and your small group leaders and ask for prayer Ask for friends and for accountability because we're not meant to do life alone. We're meant to do life with other people seeking the same goal. And that's to be close with Jesus and that's to follow him and be obedient. So that's my challenge for you guys tonight. And know that you guys are dismissed, that I love y'all and have a wonderful time at Small Groups. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.